Hello, the internet, and welcome to the Screen and Needle podcast, where my compadres and I get to select one film, one album, and a top five list each week to be reviewed and discussed over a pint or two. I hope you'll join us for a drink and some daft chat about pop culture. Holden, and today I am joined by Mark. Mark Wall, how are you doing, buddy? I'm all right, man. Thanks. Very good. And I'm joined by Andy Melbourne. How are you doing, Chief? Yeah, all good. Cheers, buddy. Excellent. As per usual, we are here to discuss a film, an album, but oh wait, there's a twist. Rather than a top five list this week, we uh, Mark has collated the data of our previous top fives. But we start with the film. And uh, your film this time out is 1975's Night Moves, directed by Arthur Penn, uh, starring Gene Hackman, Jennifer Warren, James Woods. Uh, I'm sure people who were probably much more popular at the time, but they're the ones I recognised. And it's about an L.A. private investigator, Harry Mosby, who is hired by a client to find a runaway teenage daughter, Moby tracks down the daughter, only to stumble on something much more intriguing and sinister. It sounds like a blurb I'd have written. <laughs> Everything has to have an arched eyebrow and a dot, dot, dot. Well, I think Harry would like me to leave. Well, I don't think that's necessary. I think Harry thinks it is. Harry thinks if you call him Harry one more time, he's going to make you eat that cat. Gene Hackman is Harry Mosby. Hello, Harry. In Night Moves. Well, come on, take a swing at me, Harry, the way Sam Spade would. He's a private investigator. My daughter, Delhi. Would you believe Delilah? Well, she's gone. How long gone? Two weeks. Go find her. Making a living. Well, let's say 125 a day in legitimate expenses. From other people's lives. You can get cheaper. Can I get better? You're hired. Uh, so, as per usual, Mark, tell us about your choice. I just bought it on Blu-ray and thought, why not? Why not pick it? That was pretty much the logic behind it who, who doesn't like the old 70s private detective films as well so i was oh, kind of sure. hoping that maybe it would join the ranks of chinatown long goodbye etc is this one that had long been on your list because it's a like noir film or because it's a hackman uh, film or I mean, both it was pretty much on my list as of a week ago when i saw the cover and the tagline and uh just thought yeah that'll do <laughs> I've 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 digitally rented mine. What's the tagline? Tagline's so good. Oh wait, is, is this it? Maybe you would find the girl. Maybe he would find himself. <laughs> Ooh, that is good. Yeah, but whether it was good or not is, of course, the question. Like, what did you think, Andy? Ten minutes in, I thought it was going to be a very bog standard film noir PI film, um, and not that I have anything against that, but. It grew on me the more the I got into it. So like I think the screenplay is good. I like the character of Harry actually. Like I think 
it, it kept the story interesting that he seemed to be slightly bumbling along with the story. Like, it, sort of, he had hunches on things that he did work as a private detective and he did get to the answer in the end. But, but yeah, it kept the story interesting, the fact that he almost struggled to solve some of it. And, you know, the added stuff about his marriage and things like that. It feels a tad outdated. There are some things that I don't think have aged especially well with it. And then I think there's also, it's interesting that you compared it to things like Chinatown when I was sort of thinking of things like more the kind of 1940s, 1950s film noir, almost that he felt like a character that in the world that he was in was kind of outdated, which was an interesting sort of twist. So yeah, I've got I've got some reservations about it, but generally speaking, the film grew on me. I was sort of quite engrossed in the story the further it went on. That's my overall thoughts. I think I pretty much agree with you there, buddy. It is this kind of bumbling PI who has all of the right tropes. I mean, they even reference, is it Sam Spade? At one point, the character from Maltese Falcon. And, you know, he's he's kind of drinking, his wife's cheating on him. He runs this very kind of romanticized classic detective agency with his name on the glass door and all that. But as you say, he just bumbles his way through and sort of, almost entirely accidentally <laughs> falls onto the <laughs> to the actual plot. And it's it's in that process that I started to really like the film. I was really digging Hackman and his great tash, but mainly his great acting. Um, and his early, hair. And his Hackman, hair. Hackman with big hair. Love it. Yeah, not a usual look for, for old Gene, but a good one. And I thought he was really good. I thought he was really, really watchable. He's that kind of charismatic asshole that I think a good noir like P.I. should be. It's kind of mean to everybody, but it does so in a way that, I don't know, the other characters seem to want to be nice to him, even though he's he's a horror bag most of the time. I think I had to do a little bit of reading up to get a bit more out of the ins and outs of this film. Did, did anyone feel like there was anything unanswered at the end, or did you did you have it kind of wrapped up nicely in your mind? I, I definitely think that's like the plot of the film probably makes sense if I went back and watched it again. Thoughts, but like particularly the ending because it really comes out of nowhere like there's quite a lot of kind of almost twists sort of right at the end of the film yeah it's a little bit like hard to follow in bits and I think it probably does all make sense and I think I know what the plot was but like it is something I'd probably get something out of watching it again and actually understanding what happened more easily yeah so yeah, Marco, your choice. What were your thoughts? It's funny because when he at the on the end scene on the boat where he's just frequently shouting at the women, tell me what it's all about, or it's something to that effect. I was exactly the same. Didn't have a bloody yeah. clue what was <laughs> <Yeah>. going on. <laughs> like, uh, quite frankly, I still don't really. I didn't look it up because I completely agree. I do feel it would probably improve generally for me on a rewatch, and I think I'd maybe have more of an understanding of it, but. I was like Hackman all at sea. And uh, also, I, I didn't know whether that was perhaps partially intentional because there's this thread throughout the entire thing where, you know, he's always trying to solve something. And there's that scene where he's talking, I think, to his wife and he says about, you know, going to find his dad. And she's all, always under the impression that he, he did that and he did, but he never actually spoke to him. He had the solution in front of him, but he never took that final step to actually solve the, that particular thing. And I kind of felt like the ending was somewhat like that. I think the film's like full of foreshadowing. 
Mm. Um, there's things like the actual the knights move, but what the kind of title refers to, yeah, is that chess game where famously like a player missed a, a, an obvious or we assume like fairly obvious move, and in doing so like lost the game. And I think this that is a metaphor for uh, Harry just missing yeah, 100%. everything that's going on around yeah. him. Really, it's hard to know which bits to say because they're so the plot's so intertwined with like, all of the moments and the beats. I don't want to get too deep in. I think the um, I think it is entirely intentional. It's hard to tell into because sometimes you do think maybe reading more into something than actually exists. But like I say, I kind of got the feeling that he was the very classic private detective character that he was felt outdated in the kind of world that the film was set in. Mm-hmm. And he's like constantly like his wife's pushing him to join the like bigger agency and the idea of this like lone wolf, you know, yeah. going down uh, just all the classic PI tropes just sort of felt outdated in the world. And so I think it is sort of intentional that you're seeing the story as he's unraveling it. And the way he's unraveling it is, yeah, he stumbles across the right idea a lot of the time, but sometimes he's just following hunches that are kind of wrong or or, or just missing stuff and kind of bumbling through. So I think it's kind of intentional that it's hard to follow as a plot. Like that just sort of fits into the like character narrative and the like world narrative. Yeah, I think I was just gonna say more broadly, like I think I really liked the look of it. It had that, particularly in the first opening kind of exchanges, I thought it had the look of Columbo episode, that very like 1970s Hollywood, everything's marble or wood paneling. And it's, again, it's kind of like romanticized, I guess probably what it was like in 1975 Hollywood, but through my modern eyes, it looks like something made up for a a Columbo set. I'd agree with that. I did find it kind of unremarkable filmmaking, though, for the most part. That's not necessarily a criticism, but it's just, I don't know, like when put against those other two that I mentioned, and indeed the older 40s, 50s ones, which were just like so much style and those so much atmosphere. I don't know. It's it's slightly bland to me, the, the way it's put together. Um, yeah. Like I, I, cinematography wise. I realise that I've written, I've written a few notes and... I've written absolutely nothing about the kind of filmmaking, the music, the any sort of shots. Oh, or... Opening tune was pretty jokes. I was going to say, <laughs> like, I noticed <laughs> the music a lot at the beginning when it was really jaunty jazz, and then yeah. I didn't really notice it a lot in the no, rest of the film. Yeah, the kind of the standout thing for me was the the screenplay, like actually the making of the film. I I kind mm-hmm. of agree with you, Mark. I don't think there was anything particularly remarkable about it. It was all fine. Nothing stood out as bad. But no, agree. Remarkable list. I agree with that choice of word. As you say, it didn't. It didn't really cross my mind. But I, I hadn't picked anything out filmmaking wise uh, similar. Um, I mean, it's perfectly serviceable, isn't it? There's nothing. No, absolutely. But I, I think it, it lacks that bad. class, maybe, or just something mm-hmm. unique. You know, like a particular director's touch. I, I don't know. This probably ties into certainly what Andy's mentioned, like the outdated stuff the middle third of the film i had a couple of problems with namely that i just thought it slowed downloads and was fairly dull but also i found it quite icky a little uncomfortable to watch and it kind of lost me a bit in that section and brings it back a bit in the final third and i get that that's probably in a way where all the interesting stuff that makes the film what it is is probably in that middle third i managed to compartmentalize that into 
kind of what it was but you're completely right like there are some bits in in that when he first arrives in florida it, yeah that kind of section isn't it and it it is pretty grim and i mean you could argue everybody gets consequences at the end of this like <laughs> every character has a, a fairly bad ending and yet some of these actions yeah pass by without real in-world consequences that we see so I think we have to assume that a lot of them are considered to be fine at the time. But um... what what things are you talking about specifically? Well, I, the young girl, just the sexual politics in general. Yeah, I, I was just wondering because Will was talking about more like in film things. Like the thing that made me slightly uncomfortable was just the absolute constant like gratuitous nudity of her teenager. Like, as yeah, supposedly sixteen-year-old girl, and like the sort of yeah, sexualization of her. It just, it just, it was so unnecessary for the film. Like it's yeah. just not something really you would was, put yeah. in any anymore. It just doesn't. It adds absolutely nothing apart from the fact that you get to see some boobs. To be, I guess, to be more specific, like there's uh, there's the uh, it's more than an insinuation that her stepdad has like slept with her. Yes. Yeah. Indeed. And and basically most of the stunt crew. Yep. Uh, and the through Paula's eyes, uh, for anybody listening at home, Paula is the now partner of Tom, who <laughs> crisis is complicated, who is Delhi, the missing girl's stepfather. Anyway, Paula seems to like Lord Harry for not having made a move. As if it's some sort of celebratory thing that he's resisted this like naked sixteen-year-old. That made me quite uncomfortable. I just thought like that that shouldn't be applauded. That should just be that that's the norm. But again, it is something I kind of felt I could put into place within its time frame and not let it creep me out too much. I suppose you could argue that it's is kind of you get an idea of her character before you meet her. That like she's kind of promiscuous and into drugs and very like free hippie, I guess. Not that either of those things are necessarily the same, but um, but that's kind of the character that you're given. And then when you meet her within that like tiny little world, like that's kind of the idea of the world that they're in. Like a stepdad, who you presume is having a relationship with her, is in kind of an open relationship with Paula, named yeah. Paula. Um, and yeah, Harry sleeps with Paula, and obviously that's not an issue because in terms of like you know their relationship not allowing it so i suppose you can kind of explain some of those things because that's just setting the little worlds that they're in yeah yeah no i think that's like uh all the characters are painted to be i guess a little bit degenerate maybe through at least through the eyes of harry like perhaps it's how he sees a lot of them I suppose, I mean, it's different from the world that Harry's in. Like, Harry's wife cheats on him, but that is unacceptable. And Harry also cheats on his wife. Like, I just mean, like, it as part of kind of the dynamic that happens within that little world in Florida, those sort of things are fine, like free love and everything else. Sure, yeah. Whereas, yeah, from Harry's world, that's not fine. It still happens, but it's unacceptable. That reminded me actually talking about um again harry and his wife i think there are a couple of times when it it upturns the kind of usual noir trope and i think that's one of them where harry uh confronts like his wife's lover and within the scene like he's more angry about what she's told it's called marty than than actually the fact that like she slept with him and then rather than like clock his lights out just sort of walks away and it's all quite low-key broadly and i think that's a bit of a subversion of expectations I guess the question is is it 
an, an exciting subversion or not. Well, that's it. And, you know, that, that question could be asked of those whole those whole side bits, all, all the character stuff with him. I mean, I, I didn't mind it. Um, I thought those scenes were quite well acted. And it, I guess it's interesting to have as part of a private detective film, but I don't really feel like it goes anywhere with it, particularly, to be honest. It's just right. They're having marital troubles. She's having an affair. He ends up sleeping with someone else. Okay, cool. I don't know what it adds to the the film as a whole, other than sort of that's what's going on within his life. But does it impact anything else? I, I don't know. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. It does seem like a bit of a sidebar. I mean, his wife has the, the perhaps the last kind of premonition of the film, where she says, like, if you don't leave, you'll not come back. And I think mm. we're left to believe that he doesn't. Yeah, I don't know whether she was talking about their relationship or... I think she was, but I, like, I, but I know just, what you mean. Yeah, I think the film is full of like that foreshadowing metaphor. I think that was that was another one, basically saying like, that, you know, if you leave, you won't come back. I mean, I, I don't know if we want to get into what it was actually all about plot-wise, like we can do. Um, From nineteen seventy-five, I think if you've if, if not seen it by now. <laughs> well, it's it's not that. Just I yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because I, I don't know that my mind will be particularly blown at like, oh, so it all ties together. My God. Like it's instantly such a better movie. Like, I, and I don't think it does. No, and I don't. It's it's similar to that other one we did a while back, but I don't know that I care enough to like find out. Um, yeah, I, I sort of agree with that. Like, like I say, I think I followed enough of the plot through it, although the end got quite confusing. But I kind of agree with you. Like, it hasn't stayed with me as a film. Like, I, I did, no. I did enjoy it enough, but. It's not like I've sort of been thinking about it a lot, trying to like piece together the yeah, piece together man. the plot of it. Like it, it didn't quite engage me enough that I like I'm that bothered to fully understand the story. That said, I would watch it again because, like I say, I do think I'd probably follow the plot better second time, having some idea where it's going. Yeah, I do think it it does fade from memory quite quickly, though the movie. It was only about four or five days ago I watched it and already I'm really quite fuzzy on the majority of it, to be honest. I mean, I watched it yesterday, so struggle to have that excuse. <laughs> it, is, it is a bit of a meander, isn't it? I think because he is, he's not solving things intuitively or he's not really solving things in order as a normal detective sort of thing might go. And I think it makes it feel a bit meandery. Like he is sort of falling into one scene and into the next and just sort of stumbling into stuff. On one hand, I find that quite interesting as a, as a concept, but I think you're right. Like for a film that is about 99 minutes long, just over an hour and a half, it does get a bit weighty in the middle. I think It'll take a while to get to its crescendo. I think so. Yeah. It doesn't feel like an absolute breeze. Although, actually, when it gets into its last, the last 20 minutes is, but the last 20 minutes is just, like, like Andy was saying, twist after twist. For... It's an <laughs> action thriller, isn't it, the end? Like, I mean, you could argue the film is a thriller. It, it kind of, that's where it eventually finishes up. <laughs> it doesn't start that way, but it is kind of a thriller. Yeah, agreed. I feel like there was less and less clever dialogue as it progressed throughout the film though the first few scenes i felt all the dialogue was was pretty good i liked a lot of james wood's first lines really yeah i thought they were quite weird i I don't i didn't in fact it isn't james wood's first lines it's just that early on in the film that was why i wasn't on board early on in the film is that it just felt so like everything that you hear up and i guess up until the point after he's met the woman who's looking for a daughter 
and she's like an aging actress. Everything up until that point, I just thought was like PI cliche. That's kind of what I wanted. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. I, um, I sort of, I don't dislike that, but I felt like I I'd do seen it. I do think that's yeah. intentional for the film, isn't it? To, to set him up as that and then pull the rug out. And the fact is, he's not that good a PI, <laughs> ultimately. Yeah. No. I, I mean, yeah, he's basically guess, hanging yeah. out with the villain throughout the in- entire movie, isn't he? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> his best bro. Yeah, <laughs> that was actually a cool shot. the The very final one where he's sort of on top of the boat and the the guy's underneath. That looked pretty, pretty funky. Well, I won't take any credit for it, but it's part of uh, one of the things that I I read up when I was reading was a lot of it is shot with Harry either looking at something through something or we are seeing Harry through something. So there's the first time they pull the the bottom off the boat and look through the glass and watch her swimming and obviously see the the plane um there are bits in is it marty's apartment where he's got those like decorative discs that are like inverted when you look through them and you kind of see them through that i'm not sure it came to a particular conclusion but i think it was on purpose like i think those shots were frequent throughout and that was the most effective of them mainly because well nobody expected it to be his boy Joey in the plane, I don't think. Yeah. Also, how was he flying? Like he had I one thought, arm yeah, I thought in, that in a well. cast at a right angle, the other the other hand apparently holding an Uzi. Yeah, I, I thought that as I was watching it, it's like they've no point presented the fact that he's able to fly a plane and he's also doing it with one arm whilst holding a gun. It's impressive. I mean, he is an ex-stuntman, so that is probably in his repertoire. Yeah, I don't have much else. I thought Hackman was good. It's always good though, isn't he? I think Hackman like stood out against most everybody else. I thought actually Jennifer Warner was quite good as Paula. I enjoyed her performance in it. Yeah, she was decent. Yeah, and actually as it went on, like I think I I liked Melanie Griffith as Delhi as well. I think in her first couple of scenes it could have been a bit child actory, but actually I think she really like warmed into her role. But I think James, uh, I think Gene Hackman made most everybody else look like TV actors. I didn't realise yeah. it was James Wood, incidentally, until I saw the cast list afterwards. Young, did he? I yeah, did. Absolutely. I did maybe the second time we saw him. When he first pulled him out from under the car, it didn't click immediately. But uh, Never later on, it's, for me. it's his distinctive voice. There's actually a couple of bits that kind of made me laugh. One of them when he first meets Dell and she like sets some sailors on him. And he does a very like 1960s Batman style two legged kick and kicks uh, yeah, into I, the river. I also <laughs> laughed at that. It's good, isn't it? <laughs> that really made me laugh. And the other bit is when he reconciles with his wife and tells her that like he never he never actually spoke to his dad. They're just like munching on some sort of post-coital fondue at the end of the bed. <laughs> Incredibly 70s. Just dubbing some cheese after a bit of sex. And that really made me laugh as well. It wasn't a, like a, fil- a film full of laughs, but. No, that was good. Dobbing some cheese after some sex. <laughs> Lovely stuff. It's going to be my new chat up line. <laughs> I'll tell Catherine later. I was going to say, I don't know how you're going to make it up work. It's a line, but good luck with it. You don't need to tell us the results. Well, yeah, no, I think I agree with you, Andy. Like, I would watch it again, and I would kind of hope to get something a little bit different out of it a second time round with that foreknowledge of where it ends up. And maybe see a few more of those clues. And in fact, maybe see a bit more of the kind of filmmaking aspects none of us 
picked up on, perhaps because they're not there, but maybe <laughs> maybe on a rewatch you'll go through and go, oh, actually, yeah, there's a lot of interesting things going on. Should you do some scoring? I think I'm between two numbers. I'm going to err on the slightly generous side of those two numbers. And I think mainly, I've got the IMDb page here, and it's a picture of Hackman when he's come like home for the first time and his wife's got the lover over and he's drinking their wine and he's got his button open and his tash out. <laughs> and uh, and I'm going to give it seven out of ten for those reasons. I knew when you set that Completely up, you were going to go for reasons. seven. <laughs> Don't know why. Just felt sure it would be a seven. I don't know. It could have been a six. Um, but no, I think a seven is fair. I think I think it is good. Shall we say it together after three, Andy? Do you think we're going to say the same number? I don't know. I think I think so. Maybe not. Maybe maybe we won't. Sure, go on then. Let, let's let's do it. <laughs> you do the countdown. After do you want me to do the so, count? An independent yeah, so counter. on on zero. Three, two, one, six. six. There we are. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. It's it's okay. I'm a bit ambivalent about it, but I I, I kind of enjoyed it whilst it was on and quickly forgot about it after. But I've seen a lot worse. And Gene Hackman is Gene Hackman, which helps. <laughs> yeah, agreed. I, d- I forgot about it after I watched it. I quite enjoyed it whilst I was watching it. I think it's unusual to give a film six out of 10 and to want to watch it again. But I agree with you, Will. I think because the plot is a bit convoluted, I might get more out of it a second time. Whether I will watch it again, I don't know, because I'm not. I didn't didn't love it, but it was fun enough. Okay, so we shall move on after that to the album. Uh, Your pick this week, Mark, uh, is Mother Mother's new album, Inside, from this year, 2021. has 14 songs. It's 48 minutes and eight seconds long. There's the vitals. I'll ask you why you've picked this album, but I I think I know. No-brainer, isn't it? It Yeah. uh, Yeah, it's a band we all like. But as with so many bands... Have they gone off the rails completely? Is there does their new stuff have any value? Etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Suggest we start with you, Will. Okay. As we've previously discussed, I really, really love Mother Mother's first three albums. Having re-listened to it, I think their fourth album, under your suggestion, Mark, The Sticks, I think it's all right. It's great, but yeah. I think it's all right. (laughs) And then then it really falls off a cliff for me. Um, And I haven't listened to, is this their sixth album now? Is that right? This is that eighth that album. Christ, so there's there's a few that I've missed. I <laughs> really dropped off the board there. Uh, this seems to be a continuation of the style of Mother Mother that I don't like. Feels like the the slightly more ordinary. I don't want to say poppy because I don't think that's right. I don't think that's like quite fair. But I also think it's a bit 
predictable and a little bit by the numbers overall. There are moments in it that I that I quite like, but I think for the most part, actually overshadowed by a, a little bit of mediocrity, I think. Yeah, so I love their first three albums too. I don't mind Sticks. I don't mind No Culture. And I think their other two albums are poor. I, I think that... I, I haven't quite finalised my thoughts on this, really. So it's a difficult one to review. I have no idea what number I'm going to give. I tried to think about what I would think of this album if it wasn't Mother Mother and it was a new band, and I'd probably be quite excited about it. I'd probably think, like, this is a band that's got a ton of potential because all the things I like about Mother Mother are still there in bits. I do kind of agree with Will a little bit. I I think, essentially, this album is probably going to fall in amongst no culture and the sticks as being not terrible but not anywhere near the peak of mother mother and i've i've really tried to formalize some thoughts as to why i think that which i'll go into later but i i I think i'm probably more positive than will the thing that i really dislike about a couple of the albums one of them's called It's got good and bad in the title. Very good, bad thing. Yeah, I don't like that album. I think it's full of that, like, anthemic synth rock. um, Yes. Where there's nothing interesting happening, but you're adding lots of big synth lines to just make a sort of wall of sound that I imagine if you saw live, you could get really into, like, this massive, big, like, soundscape. but on a record does absolutely nothing for me. And there are definitely a couple of tracks that still do that. But I think there are things that are just uniquely Mother Mother still on this album that I like. Higher than Will, but not as high as their first three albums is my quick take. Yeah, for the benefit of anyone listening, I'm nodding along furiously to both Will and Andy (laughs) um, because I completely agree with everything that's said. But... To me, the, the balance is swayed in, in the favour of positivity because I think some of the stuff on there is terrific. Now, some of the stuff is is not very good at all, and that's a shame. But it's one of those, they're not giving me what I want from Mother Mother necessarily, but I still kind of like what it is. And Andy, you're right, it's still absolutely got elements that are unique to them at times. More so on this record, I think, than No Culture or um, the other couple, Dance and Cry, Very Good, Bad Thing. Both mm. of those two I just plain don't like. I, the, the, yeah. There's almost nothing for me. Like, I think those two albums in particular has, like, very, very few of the things that are uniquely Mother Mother. Like, they could be almost anybody doing that kind of stadium. Well, stadium, yeah. yeah, anthemic rock thing. Agreed. And there is some of that still on here, 100%. To name check a couple, sick of the silence, not not big on that one. I got love, but the thing is though, I think even the ones where they fall into that more mediocre pile, where it's not particularly original or interesting, nearly nearly every song still has interesting moments in it, and I think the production is really interesting. Now, the producer is the same guy that produced their first two albums, which I find kind of baffling because it sounds nothing like them but I saw, I saw that as well it's yeah it's the guy who made like oh my heart and yep. you mentioned this to me and I wasn't aware of it until I read it afterwards but 
they've, you know, like they were on like James Corden's show in America and, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. Like they're actually becoming a bigger band and it's because Oh My Heart and the tracks off that were suddenly gained popularity on like TikTok and stuff, which is weird. Mm-hmm. And then they've gone back to the producer who made that album. It's the first time he's produced an album for them since Oh My Heart and made a completely different album. I think it's admirable. Like if they want to just make music they want to make, and if this is it, then fine. But it's uh, it just it's, not, it what, it's not what I want them to make. Yeah, I mean, indeed. The writing is a lot simpler on this album. Like, most of the chord progressions are dead generic, but they're not generic in terms of production and all the arrangements. All that stuff is still there. I think it's really kind of primal at times, like the way it sounds. It's not... They're commercial songs not particularly commercially produced, which is kind of an interesting juxtaposition. I think Andy's right as well. Like, I think my negativity... Uh, probably stems from the fact that I'm not viewing this in a bubble. Mm-hmm. Like I, but uh, but I, I've sort of decided that that is how I'm going to view this. Like I'm going to look at this as a mother mother album, as a mother mother fan. Um, I'm yeah. I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to try and review this as an album mm-hmm. entirely on its own. And even though I would rate a couple of Mother Mother albums as nines and tens, and this isn't close to that, it doesn't mean that I suddenly need to give this a four because it's so much worse than those albums. Because <laughs> it's still, I still think it's tons better than a lot of similar bands and similar albums. Like, I don't think this is a bad album. I think Mark's right. Like, it's, it's, it's just a simplified version of Mother Mother. I was going to kind of get onto what you were going to say there. Obviously, you mentioned about like the, there are some tracks that, that hold the uniqueness of of Mother Mother, and still kind of show that in this album. But one of the bits I think I was most disappointed by is I don't remember hearing very many instances where there were multiple vocals or harmonies that were interesting that were beyond the the most basic version of a of a harmony. And for me, that's a big part of mother mother's success in their first three albums 100 percent what i was going to say it still has those like three-part vocals but just the amount of times they just has like two-part backing vocals kind of either adding a bit of like soundscape or um that kind of echoing effect where it's just like singing a line back and things like that mm-hmm. in just sort of two-part like harmony and third yeah, but i it's not terrible at all. And there is still, again, like I say, like there are so many similar albums that wouldn't even have that. And I still like it. I like all of their voices. And mm-hmm. one thing I would say, Mark, about you saying it's sort of the primal feel of it. I think it's the most like kind of raw that his vocals have sounded. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it's... there's not there's not interesting there isn't enough interesting harmonies and interesting counter melodies and stuff. Like it just, I don't know. I, this, counter melodies are all over the place. I think they've almost traded in harmonies for counter melodies a lot of the time. I think a lot of the time it's just quite simple call and response, though. Yeah, like I don't agree. Like I think there is a bit. They're kind of echoing uh, lyrics, or or like you say, just a call and response. Like it, it's not that they're not there. It's just that they're, and then that'll just be in a two part harmony that's quite simple. And I think, like, the amount of songs off their first three albums where the harmony is, like, quite close and complex and also changes, like, it'll be different on the second time the chorus comes around. 
than it was in the first. I doubt, well, I, I still think there's a lot of difference here. They very, very rarely, very rarely just repeat a verse or chorus ad hoc. They nearly always change. There's so many changes. Like a lot of the time it is production choices. Like they'll change the drum sound for the second verse or like they'll switch up the bass. The bassist, by the way, is is new to them. I think there's some great bass stuff on this album. And I disagree. Like there's there's still the interesting vocal stuff at times. Yeah, it's not across the board. Absolutely. But like the end of um, Until It Doesn't Hurt, the second to last track. Yeah. The lady is doing some awesome counter melody over the ending. Uh, the whole of the last track has gorgeous like harmonies and like weird dissonance and ties into the opening track. I mean... I'll just say for a minute that the opening, the, sorry, the closing track inside kind of blew me away on first listen. Heard nothing like it from them. It's about as anti-commercial as you can possibly get. I love the uh, the middle third is all dissonant and atmospheric, and then it just builds into this three-minute guitar wig out where it's awesome. Also, I like that on a on an album of like three-minute pop tunes, pretty much throughout. Like the last track is look at it, it's eight minutes eight, long, eight, eight, and and a half. Half, eight and a half minutes. Like yeah, I like that they just have an eight and a half minute instrumental wig out. Why well, is not all instrumental? But yeah, wig out track at the end to finish it. Like you know, we'll have a closer of whatever we want. But then I yeah. also don't really like the opening track of kind of. Um, well, it's that classic thing, isn't it? Of classic skipper. yeah well it it is but then when i listen to the last track i actually kind of like going back to the first because it ties into the atmosphere and the vocal harmony in the first song is taken from the middle section of the last song i do like that interconnectedness i must admit i didn't i didn't notice that um but i like that in principle anyway i quite like that kind of feeding into different parts of the album but yeah i can't give it points that because i plain didn't notice I think the opening of the album is pretty poor. I think like it, it, it didn't. I it quite like, like. I quite like the second song. I'm not going to lie. I, oh, I, don't yeah, I, I don't particularly like the second one. Uh, Sick of the Silence, I think, is the first single, and it really sounds like a single track. Um, Did that like when we talked about his the rawness of his voice? I, I don't like his style of voice on that. It on Sick of the Silence. Yeah, and it, it comes in a couple of other times where he kind of gets into a growl, and absolutely just personal preference. But I just don't. It's not. It's not how I think his voice is at its best. Um, it doesn't do a lot for me. That kind of change in style. I'm going to say one of the things I like about him is that his voice is so versatile. Yep, I, I don't mind it at all. I think he. I think it's a bit overdone on this record that's all one of my favorite things about him is that he can do that and can also do you know quite like sort of touching tone to a ballad or like there's just a ton of variety to his voice like yeah i guess in this case yeah in the yeah but i think he's got character like anyway and and that has exhibited that like i think he has a very uh memorable kind of uh, standout voice i just think that's a stylistic decision uh, it's not about kind of his like his versatility or talent but i think he makes a stylistic choice there that i just i'm not into in that particular instance i like it at times i mean i really like dramatic vocal performances he starts screaming at the end of the last song and it's hidden in the back of the mix but yeah fine with that. It's, uh, yeah but it, it's cool and um did you two pick up on the uh pixies nod can't say i did i mean li- little touches like this just add a ton of charm for me 
So in uh, the song Forgotten Souls, which incidentally I quite like actually, even though it's a kind of unremarkable one, I think it's kind of fun that it never really repeats anything. But just before the guitar break, where it has a very kind of Pixies bass line, very straight, Molly, the sister, says Rock Me Bro, which is straight out of Monkey Gone to Heaven, where he says Rock Me Joe, which, (laughs) and it sounds like the Pixies at that point. So stuff like that, I get a massive kick out of. Yeah, I just think, I mean, I, I just want to quickly mention a few more songs because there's quite a few which I really liked. Yeah, me too. I think, I think Stay Behind is terrific. Like, Yeah, that was one of my, my first big pick out from the album was that one. Gorgeous, like, verse, melody, really nice atmosphere. Okay, it's not necessarily vocal harmony in that one, but the melody is is really nice and interesting with some blue notes in there. And I quite like The Knack. It's one of the more obvious poppy ones on there, but I think it's quite fun and I, I wrote down the knack as one of the things that i don't like that they kind of yeah. the simple rock beat and the kind of like driving synth bass and things like that and it's also been in my head quite a lot I find myself thinking it that's what i mean yeah it's a proper it's, earwear it's really it is a proper is man. actually i don't mind it at all yeah i think it's the first time it's kind of really successful on the album because i think sick of the silence and I Got Love all have that much more like yeah. upbeat electro rock pop sort of thing. But yeah, the knack is the first time I kind of felt. The chord change like into the chorus where it like drops down into the chorus is really nice every time. It's it super nice every well. time it happens. Yeah. Like just think because it just it doesn't change. It doesn't change like theme of the song either. Like it still keeps that drive. It just like, yeah, just swoops into a chorus really nicely. Like there's no lift. It's the exact opposite. Yeah, that's an example of where the simplicity actually lands really well. It feels effortless rather than just no effort put in, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I think another criticism of comparison, I think, is that um, I think they're older. At least their first three albums had a bit more like humor about them. Yeah, not just great. like fun in terms of songwriting, but actually like the lyrics were often about like silly things, and I found that really endearing. Hundred percent agreed. The knack is probably the first time on this album I get that kind of sense of fun that yep. the previous albums give me. It's a shame that it takes nine songs <laughs> to get that to get that sense, but that, I think that's why I also picked out the knack of those type of songs as my as the best one because it I don't know just tickled some of that like fun button. That that actually kind of leads on to something I wanted to kind of talk about. Um, I looked up some of the lyrics from a couple of them because I kind of wanted to know what they were. Because there's definitely a sort of darker tone to this. And I think this is a product of lockdown. Like, so I think the opening tracks, like the, um, I think the kind of ambience that you hear is often supposed to represent like the sort of, you know, like the beating of the pots and pans. I feel like some of it is a little bit on the nose, with particularly because we've just reviewed something else also called Inside, which... Yeah, is, it's so ironic, isn't it? Yeah, which was also... Well, I said, I think it's the best thing created, like, out of lockdown that is so influenced by lockdown. <laughs> like, I think it's given this album, like, a darker tone, but I don't think they quite pulled it off into i don't know i think the last three songs i mean there's the instrumental which as ever you could argue oh it's a skipper 
I kind of like it because it immediately puts me in a different mind frame. I really like Until It Doesn't Hurt. I think that's almost old school Mother Mother. Yeah, I like that song as well. Um, I really like the choruses, particularly as you mentioned earlier, the second one where it does get that like counterpoint. Yeah, I found some of the verses a little lacking. I think it's interesting that they chose to end on, I mean, they, they literally end on the sound of the pots and pans and stuff, but immediately before that, it's almost like a apocalyptic you know, just break down yeah. basically. And I think that's a really interesting choice. And it, it kind of mirrors the the Bo Burnham thing, presumably, of just like, you know, I well, I can't it's going handle. a bit mad. Yeah. Was, when I read through some of the lyrics, I don't feel like there's a lot of subtlety to it. Yeah. I mean, I haven't studied the lyrics at all. So I I don't really know. And I, I imagine they are probably not the best in the world. But the the way some of the songs make me feel definitely works. Like stay yeah. behind again. I, it achieves this really unique tone for me, where it's kind of quite a downbeat song. But I, I, I don't know. I find it almost comforting. It just got a really unique atmosphere, and that's another one where the bass line also super melodic when it comes in in the second verse. Just really, I think it's an interesting bass player. He doesn't quite get to do enough of it, but when he when he gets the chance, I think he he takes advantage. Yeah, I think too frequently it is sometimes replaced by that like synth bass line, which even yeah. if there's somebody playing underneath, like I think it just dominates that that range, Absolutely. doesn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. And it kind of swamps the sound. And just going back to what you were saying about good songs, um, uh, Forgotten Souls I don't hate, but the first three songs I don't particularly like. Uh, Pure Love, I thought when Pure Love started, I thought like, are oh, we getting like this is more what I want to hear. And then mm-hmm. I didn't really feel like the song went anywhere, particularly. Like, I don't yeah, think it's a super interesting, interesting song, but at, at least it was sort of thematically different. Weep, I really like. And I, I got love, I'm not bothered about. But yeah, after after track eight, I think there's actually a really good run there. That sort of feeds into my disappointment, I think, because you're right about like pure love the first time I heard it. I'm kind of always waiting for the moment where that little bit of that spark of interest that would have been there on a previous album, like lifts the song up and it, and it picks up. And by the third or fourth time I was listening through the album, I just started skipping pure love. I feel like in the past they would have built that to something, but mm-hmm. it just sort of goes nowhere. It, it was the listening to it for the first time. It was the point that made me think like, Oh, there might be something in this album after kind of being disappointed with the first like few tracks. I guess so that that's where I ultimately land. I think, there are enough songs that I really like. I mean, I say there's maybe three or four, which to me are of the level of their first three albums for me. So in that sense, they're still offering something of value to me. It is a shame that you have to sort of wade through a mire of fairly mediocre stuff, but I don't hate it. It's not like, you know, I listen to it and just think, well, this is just flat out terrible. No, it's just not kind of quite as interesting, but I'm, cautiously even more optimistic after this album that they're going to return i'm like super excited about whatever they do next if i've got another album in two years time are you checking it out yeah of course i am i always am Uh, that's it like regardless of the fact that it's now almost waiting to the point where i dislike more of their albums than i like okay well i say we uh we score it i came in at a seven I'm bumping it to an eight. 
when I look back at all the albums that I've given positive scores to, firstly, I probably enjoyed listening to this one as much as any of them. It was never a chore to listen to. Some of the stuff is actually quite invigorating to me for the band. Like, I'm excited about them again. Yeah, 8 out of 10, I, th- I think, is, is reasonably reflects how I felt about it. I think this is probably my fourth favourite album of theirs. I'm going to give it a 7. I wrote down 6 slash 7 slash 8. I just think they could do more. And I think, yeah, compared to other albums that I've given sevens and eights, it's it's up there with them. So, yeah, seven. I perhaps am judging it harsher because of my pre-existing uh, adoration for the first three albums. And that might also be un- unfair, but it's that's the status that I'm in. Like, I, I, I've been unable to approach it any other way. I'm going to give it a... S- thought you were going to go six and then i was convinced by your speech that you were going to go five yeah i mean you sound like a five which i think is harsh i mean come on let's let's bring matt into it it's time for matt to step forward with his incredibly average like mediocre country pop record you know what it's absolutely right you've got to think about the uh the yard it's better than matt berry man come on is it a matt berry five it You're has highlights. Right. It is. It is better than Matt Berry. Um, I do. I try and mark these <laughs> things generally in isolation because the fact is, I'm inconsistent. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've given we, things we scores a, they they we don't have a deserve. Very very clear mark for five. That is, is absolutely right, is and I will adhere. I will adhere to those pre-existing rules, and I'll give it a six. It is better than a Berry. <laughs> okay. Well, with all that said and done, I think it's time we get on to perhaps perhaps the most exciting part of the podcast and something Uh, I've been anticipating since uh, your text message yesterday. Okay, right. So first of all, I'm just going to throw it on you because I think we need to do it before we get into the breakdowns. So transfers, I'm calling this, screen and needle transfers. It's It's like a little fantasy football thing for our podcast. So. God, I love fantasy football too. (laughs) (laughs) Now you may need to ask me, I've got everything written down. So if you're not sure what you're given something, give me a shout and I'll, I'll let you know. Right, you get free transfers, all right? There's three of us, free transfers seem to make sense. One point transfers. In order to give something an extra point, you have to take it off something else. Okay, so we've got a points total. Oh. Yep. I like that. So you can, do it, you can do it three times. And I think it's fine to mix and match. So you can take one off a film, give it to an album, vice versa. I've got I've Love got it. one in my head absolutely instantly that's going to happen. My memory, as per usual, is a complete blank. I don't know what I did or said. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> there was just there were two things that stayed with me. And one is an up and one is a down. Okay. Um, so we rowled quite a bit over Promising Young Woman. And I think because I defended it so <laughs> angrily at times, I uh, I gave it a 10 and it didn't deserve it. So let's knock that down to a nine. Um, and I gave Punch Brothers, I'm sure, an eight. You did give Punch Brothers an eight, yes. I've, I've listened to the album quite a lot recently. It's so good. That was that was just... I don't know why I gave it playing an eight. on your mind. It, it has been, yeah. It was just an unfair thing. So let's bump that up to a nine. This is going to have... Quite ramifications. Yeah, it is. All right, Will, 
anything jumping to mind anything you know you can check with me if you're not sure about anything but is there anything that's stuck with you as unacceptable nothing that jumps to mind like i say i don't really lose any sleep if i <laughs> if what i say is <laughs> not thought about nonsense. it what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, i'm, I'm gonna it give matt day. perry a 10 and find five yeah. points <laughs> to pull off something else <laughs> is there anything i've given particularly extreme answers to i'm gonna be honest no <laughs> no, I, I think I'm I'm a fairly I'm like a perennial fence sitter. <laughs> You're just a lover, not a fighter. Yeah, you know what? I'm um, going to go straight down the middle and say whatever I said the first time was perfect and genius. Okay, and it's still true. Mark, if you don't bump up the Kaufman film for your Look, pick, then I'm I'm this I'm this just, is, this I'm is literally so disappointed in you. This whole exercise is just basically to enable me to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so you should, because literally we talked about the film, and I understood why you didn't like it. But you also listed yes, so look, many, so yes. many positives. I know, gave I know. Such a low score. It, it was a no reactionary. It was a reactionary thing, and I've regretted <laughs> it for some time. And also, it gives me the opportunity to address some stuff that I've overscored. So you know, beautiful. And it is. It's all going. I mean, there was another one out of ten. For me, that's not getting anything. Sorry. <laughs> what was that? That was Deftones. That's staying as a one. Oh, I, it. I might and, take uh, that two down to a one. <laughs> okay, so my beloved Ichiko is going down to a nine from a ten because that was also in reactionary. I was defending something that I loved. I didn't love it enough to give it a ten. I am also taking a point off Edward, which I gave nine out of ten. I liked Edward quite a bit. But it's not a nine. It's an eight. Not a nine now. It's taking Kaufman up to a three. He's bloody running up the home straight now. He's, he's loving <laughs> I'm, it. I'm sure, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you both give Edward a nine and I gave yes. it an eight and got some like divisory comments afterwards? About Absolutely. And they were fully deserved. And I was fully like, oh, it was deserved. really good. It just wasn't nine <laughs> out of ten. <laughs> hey, I haven't changed my score. <laughs> I'm sticking with it. I have a feeling Will's going to change nothing off the back of this, incidentally. No, I don't think... Well, he isn't. He's already said. <laughs> I don't I don't hold hard and fast tree to them anyway. I'll make my final transfer, taking Mitski Lush down to an eight and bumping Kaufman to a four. Kaufman, the big winner from your subs. Yeah, he's he's absolutely sorted now. Alrighty, Luckily, one transfer for me, none for Will, and all three onto one film yeah, for Matt. It's, it was all designed for that purpose. No, I'm I um I'm happier that you've addressed the clear mistake that you made in your scoring. <laughs> and I'm also happy about my one transfer. Excellent. Right. So I'm gonna so run that... through the film's bottom to top. It's changed okay. everything. Let's do it. The worst film reviewed by the screen and needle is the adventures of Adele Blanc Sec with a pathetic score of fifteen. There. I think I gave um, the highest score on that as well. Yeah, you loved it. I honestly Mental. didn't mind it. It was a good. Uh, have have good you rewatched it? Because you were very keen to to say about how you'd be revisiting it. It's just a vacuous romp, wasn't it? Like there was no substance to it, but I found it quite fun. Fair enough. Next, we have a tie. Candyman, and I'm thinking of ending things. Night Moves is next, with 19. Candyman and I'm Thinking of 19, ending things with 17. 
Dolomite is my name, 20 points. Four-way split on 21 points. Wild at heart, sorry to bother you. Raya and the Last Dragon, Army of Shadows. Immediate thing that jumps out to me there is Army of Shadows and Wild at Heart should be above the other two, in my opinion. I was thinking I, I, I bump, bump gr- down Army of Shadows, but... Oh, yeah, I think of those, I think Army of Shadows is the one that I'd probably pick out as uh, slightly superior to that group. The next category, I mean, straight away, 22 points, Trial of the Chicago 7. I mean, Army of Shadows is a better film than Trial of the Chicago 7, as is Wild at Heart. But it's solid. So we all gave it solid scores and it's coming at a solid 22, along with Your Name and Under the Silver Lake. 23 points, Midsummer. Obviously, I've left out the guest scores. Just ask three. Yeah. Sorry, you're um, taking a point off Promising Your Woman, Andy. Has just tied it with Midsummer. Christ alive, put it back on. See what you've done. (laughs) Too late now. Too late now. 23 points. Number three. Edward, 25 points. It's, me- with... it's mental that Edward scores higher than Promising Young Woman. <laughs> it's a better film. I mean, it's not under any... It's, I think this list proves it. Anyway, that This I list is a conclusive proof, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number two is Five Easy Pieces on 26 points. That was good. I have I'm to say, I am yeah. entirely happy with that. Yeah. Should I think... Fun. Like you say, if you take out the fact that that uh, Bo Burnham's isn't a film, I think that's fair to say Five Easy Pieces is the best film that we've watched so far. It's got story second, and characters. Second best. Bo Burnham's yeah, Inside sure. doesn't. Um, but it, Bo Burnham's Inside is number one at 27. And I could have been an arsehole and take a point off it, but I didn't. So there you go. <laughs> there um, it is. Okay. Albums. I'm just going to rush through these. Deftone's got 10. <laughs> Which is three point three recurring. It's five worse than the worst film. <laughs> Good. Uh, <laughs> Unfair. Pearl Charles, eleven. Fourteen tongue. Sorry, so that's Sam's pick. Obviously, mm-hmm. if his score had been on there, would have. Well, it would have made it completely unfair because it would have won extra person's points. Yeah. But yeah, it, it hasn't lost. It's doing okay. Mm-hmm. A, a tie for the Magic 15, Stereo Lab and Matt Berry. I mean, Stereo Lab can just eject from the list. I mean, Matt Berry deserves his own placement. Yeah, I mean... I, Canonical I I, 15 out of 30. I mean, this, this says it all, really. I mean, a tie next, 17 points. Little Tybee and Ichikoe Yoba. I mean, one of those two things is great. 19 points. A tie between Mini Mansions and Elvis Costello. It feels like somewhat apt. Don't know why. Yeah, Costello feels too high, <laughs> to be honest, but fine. Mini Mansions feels perhaps a bit high, but there you go. I have to say, if I really thought about it, I'd probably score this less because I can't remember a single thing about it. It was the very first album we reviewed. 20 points, meta, meta. You know, it's in the top half. It's doing okay. Uh, Tied next, a freeway tie. Interesting. Uh, Mother, Mother, Inside, which we just did. Half Moon Run, their record, which I kind of think that's fair to go along with the Mother, Mother one. I sort of agree with that. And then Mitski as well. Freeway tie. 
See, now I feel that Mother Mother falls too high because I think I prefer both of those albums to... Half Moon Run would probably be my pick of the trio, of that little, that little trio that eight, there. Mate. Somebody else is scoring that lower, dragging it down. Mitski <laughs> was higher, uh, but I just took a point off her. Yeah, and Will dragged that down by not liking him. Agreed. Yeah. You messed up. Uh, 23 points, a tie. Bentney and Esperaldo Spaldino, whatever. Spalding. Really easy as well. Esperaldo Spalding. Ah, Good. I mean, that should be higher just for that reason. Um, Number two, I'm actually very happy with. Uh, Dodie, 24 points. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that album's really good. Yeah, I think we all kind of come, came to that agreement in the end, more or less. We absolutely I, I'm, did, because it's number two. I shouldn't, I oh, shouldn't yeah. be surprised, <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't be surprised <laughs> by that, because, um, yeah, we all gave it eights, which is very high, but, yeah, going yeah, into I think it, it's, I, I think I it's never, deserved, though. I never would have expected that would be the second highest album that we've reviewed. We just hate no. music. Like, you'll, you'll find yeah. out in a minute overall. Um yeah, Punch Brothers, num- Punch Brothers number one with 27. Okay. Who is the most negative on uh, films? You. Oh, on Great. films. I mean, still, still probably you. <laughs> if, it, if it's not you, Mark, I'd be amazed. Yeah, it's, it's me by a fair range. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you asked it, I thought you meant both. So, I mean... I think the music's still you. I'm I'm interested to hear. In fact, do you want to guess <laughs> Will, which, is, which is the most negative out of me and you? Are we on film still here, yeah? Yeah. Because I think Will is right with his assessment that he's a fence sitter. Yeah. So does that mean he'll be higher or lower overall? Well, I think I I don't I think higher overall. I think my scores are generally in the positive field, and I think I very rarely give anything sub yeah, five, particularly in films. I'm, go- I'm going to go well being higher as well. Correct. I'm not, I'm not, oh. Factually accurate. He has never given a lower score than a five, and he's only given a five once. He has given. Remind me what it was for. <laughs> Adele Blanc sec. He has given zero oh, yeah. sixes. <laughs> you have given eight eights out of, I think, 16 or 17 things total so pretty much wow. half half your review scores are an eight you've also given a nine and a ten your Big overall, positive boy yeah absolutely your overall film score is 130 andy follows a little bit behind on 121 he has given well he had given two tens he's just sacked one off so he's only got one ten now he has two nines uh, a couple of eights, and the lowest score is actually a five as well. Hmm. So, not bad, reasonably positive. Uh, my total is 110, a whole 20 points off Will. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have just, uh, I had given a one out of 10, I've obviously just changed it to a four. Um, no tens, only one, no, two nines, sorry. And a couple of eights. So, yeah, I am the most negative on movies. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, for, at least from my perspective, I think films are forgivable as well because there are generally like hundreds of people working on them, and there must be so much like toing and froing and having to compromise on bits throughout that. I don't know, I view the finished product through a kind of rosy lens as where music, I don't give that sort of leeway. If it's if it doesn't yeah. hit that bar, then it really disappoints me. As where a film, I'll kind of forgive it some of its foibles. Definitely don't very, think about that, but yes. <laughs> they're very different mediums. I mean, put it this way, like with any of the films we've watched, I'm pretty sure we've only watched them once. Whereas the album, you can't judge it off one listen. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, no, it's no absolutely not. Different. But interesting point. I was 20 points off Will on films in Lonus 110. That is higher than anyone has overall rated music. Oh, top three then. But, yeah. Who's who who is the most positive, negative, etc.? I think the Deftone swing is massive. So I'm gonna presume that Will is the most positive on music. Entirely Agreed. based on that, you would be correct, and I still think you'll be lowest, but I think there'll be less in it. Well, I mean, when you first asked, I thought I thought you'd be lowest. To be honest, um, at first I thought I would be more in the middle because of my like. I, I tend to score in, in a fairly tight group, but. I've not had cause yet to give things a really negative score. But I don't think the gap will be as big. But I, th- I agree with Andy in that order. Me, Andy, you. It was tied. It was tied on 105 points. But my uh, my bloody sorting out Kaufman has screwed up me being second in music. <laughs> Even more reason to hate him for no reason. Um, no, so... 104 for me overall, 106 for Andy, only just ahead, and 109 for Will. So we are pretty closely bunched on the music, like way closer. And as I said, all of those scores are lower than the lowest of us rate films. Well, it's it's done, I think. I think we're pretty much there. Um, So apologies if that was hugely indulgent. My OCD was kicking in. I needed to know where we stood overall. And I do, I do find it kind of interesting, to be honest. I think that's it. I think all of us will really enjoy that segment. And uh, any listener will get nothing from it. So next week's picks are going to be Andy's. What have you got for us, buddy? All right. Uh, so the film is going to be Music, uh, which is a film by the uh, artist Sia. Then the album is going to be uh, modern Johnny sing songs in the in the age of vibe uh, by Theo Katzman. Okay, nice. Listen to a little Theo Katzman before. That's cool. Uh, and uh, for the list, I'm going to go for it. Links in as well because uh, Theo Katzman plays with uh, Wolfpack. Uh, but best solo albums slash side projects. Great. Well, with all that said and done, that's all from us at Screen and Needle Podcast. I hope you see you next week where we'll talk about another film, another album, and another top five list. Bye.
バイ。